Yeah, the children can be dismissed. Sorry. If you're a child and you're going to go to the children's ministry right now, Mr. David's in the back waiting for you. Parents, if you want to send your kids down there, you're more welcome to do so. If you want to follow them if they feel more comfortable, you're more welcome to do that as well. Mr. David's right there. And Mr. So we are in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6. We're going through this series on searching for meaning in a meaningless world. And I'm going to read Ecclesiastes, chapter 6, and I'm going to pray for us. Ecclesiastes, chapter 6. There's an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity and is a grievous evil. If a man fathered a hundred children and lives many years, so the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? Verse 7. All the toil of man is not for his mouth, yet his, uh, his appetite is not satisfied. What advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also his vanity and striving after when whatever he has come to be has already been named. It is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for children. We thank you so much, Lord, for opportunities, Lord, that you provide for them to hear about God and hear about you and hear about your son, Jesus, their Savior and Lord. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that, that these children would respond in faith to the gospel that gives them salvation from their sins. Lord, that their fate would not be a fate from that question, that they would not be judged for their sins because they have trusted in the blood of Christ and they have been redeemed and been rescued. Lord, we pray for anyone here that has going through struggles or going through sickness or anything that's going on in their lives, maybe it's a family member or a friend that is struggling in some way or some form, Lord, I pray for them. Lord, we pray for those in Louisiana right now or dealing with the, the hurricane uh, Barry, Lord, we pray for safety in New Orleans. We pray, Lord, that the engineers and the wisdom that you've provided, Lord, with those levees will stay and stand and that there will be no flooding in the city. Lord, we praise you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your goodness. Lord, we pray for those churches in town that still have BBSs to do, like Northwoods Church that's coming up in a few weeks and Covert Avenue Baptist Church and other churches that maybe we don't even know about have VBS coming up. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for their volunteers and their and their church, Lord. And pray, Lord, that you would use it for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am uh, 
people that are friends with me uh, know that sometimes I'll come to meetings carrying a Wall Street Journal uh, edition because I get it in the mail. And I have not been a subscriber forever. I've become a subscriber the last few years, uh, probably mostly because the president of my seminary has said that, that you should be a subscriber to the newspaper. So listening to everything he says, I said, okay, I'll get a subscription to the newspaper. And so I, I like the Wall Street Journal, so I began subscribing to the Wall Street Journal. So I get in the mail every morning, and, and this week I found out that they are celebrating their 130th, 130th anniversary. The paper has been around for 130 years. And uh, I was curious when I uh, saw this, because on the side, I wonder if Bill has some information about its founding, like when it was founded, who started the paper, because I had no idea any of these, any of this history. And uh, so I was reading about this, the, the founders of the Wall Street Journal, and their names were Charles Dow, you probably heard of the Dow Jones Index, that comes from Charles Dow, uh, Edward Jones, you probably heard of Edward Jones Financial Firm, and Charles Bergamstrecher, which nobody knows of, but he was also a founder of the Wall Street Journal. And they started it from their office in Lower Manhattan in the, in the 19th century. They started the newspaper to fill a growing need for objective business and financial news in an emerging market where industry and growing but was hampered by a peak and unreliable information. They saw that there was a growing market in, 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 in New York City and around the United States, and they didn't think people in the financial world had enough information about businesses and the market and, and, and political and economies and things like that. Matt Murray, who is the editor-in-chief of the paper, wrote, they also demonstrated that even in amid, amid great change, the essential mission of the Wall Street Journal has stayed the same. To fairly and factually chronicle the first forces that have shaped our times and to help our readers to understand and navigate the world. That mission remains vital. Even in an age awash in information and random data indeed, maybe especially in such an age, the need for trustworthy contextual reporting is as high as ever. We remain committed to bring, bring that to you. So basically the, the, the editor, Matt Murray, who's the editor currently, says they had never drifted from their original mission. Their original mission as a newspaper was to provide vital information for people to know what's going on in the world, especially amongst the business and the financial uh, districts. They had never drifted from that original mission. Unfortunately, many institutions drift from their original mission. While they were created to accomplish one particular goal, over time the mission changes, the goals changes. As times change, as new leaders get established in these institutions, the goals change, the mission changes from its original purpose. Let's see if y'all can guess what institution this mission statement comes from. It says, to be plainly instructed and consider well the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus. Who do you think? What, what institution do you think that is what their mission is? Any guesses? Let me read it again. To be plainly instructed and consider well the main end of your life and study is to know God and Jesus. Does anyone know? Is it Harvard? It is Harvard. Harvard University. That was their mission statement in 1637. Founding mission. Now, their founding mission was to equip ministers to share the good news. Harvard University. Stephen Moeller at the 30, 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard said, the bad news is that the university has become godless. Why? Because their mission changed. Their reason for existing changed. 
Harvard's mission statement, now this is from their website. I didn't make this up, this is from their website. Harvard University's mission statement is the mission of Harvard College is to educate the citizens and citizen leaders for our society. We do this through our commitment to the transformative power of a liberal arts and science education. No mention of Jesus, no mention of God at all in Harvard's mission The preacher here in Ecclesiastes is continually frustrated with the meaninglessness of life under the sun, which is based on this uncompromising fact that humanity is a sinful it has a sinful nature. A world full of sinful humanity attempting to live in conflict with their original mission creates problems. We were created to worship God. We were created to reflect the image of God, Genesis chapter 1. But now, because of the fall, because of sin, we are in conflict with that original purpose. And meaningless existence is a product of living in conflict with your created purpose. Humans were not created by God to know information, hence why striving after the wind when you're seeking just wisdom. Humans were not created by God to experience pleasure, hence why it's striving after wind. Humans were not created to be wise, hence why it is striving after wind. Humans were not created to toil endlessly, hence why it's striving after wind. Humans were not created to gain wealth and honor, hence why it's striving after wind. Because you were created to do that. None of these things are inherently wrong. Okay, so don't don't gain from don't write down in your notes that Matt is telling you that wealth is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you weren't created to do that thing singularly. You were, not, you were not created to focus on that alone. God wants us to reason. God wants us to know. God wants us to learn. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants, to, wants us to enjoy sex. He wants us to enjoy food and drink. God wants us to live healthy and wise lives. God wants us to work and do our best and to work hard. Having wealth and receiving honor is not a sin against God, yet none of these things are the reason for your existence. God did not create you and place you in this world to make money, to be entertained, to work, to be the most fit and healthy person you can be, or to achieve success at work. These things are meaningless because they were never supposed to bring you meaning in your life. If, you, if your lives are singularly focused on one of these things, and you have changed your creative purpose, you have placed meaningless things as the source of your meaning, which they are unable to give. They are unable to give you meaning. So when the humans are trying to find meaning in these things, and they continue to be frustrated and see it as striving after wins, if they are correct, they were never meant to focus on that alone. John Genesis 1.26 then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. You are an image bearer of God. God created you to reflect his image. That's why you were created. The chief end of man is to worship God and to enjoy him, enjoy him forever. Why? Because you were created by God. Created in his image to reflect God. Hence why your chief end is to glorify him and to enjoy him. Because you were created to reflect him. You can reflect God with knowledge and pleasure and wisdom and work and wealth and honor, but you cannot reflect God with these things if you make these things your master, your purpose of your life. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, 24? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and 
money. God, Jesus is not saying that money is evil. He's just saying it's not a good master. You cannot serve God and honor. You cannot serve God and knowledge. You cannot serve God and wise financial decisions. You cannot serve God in pleasure. You cannot serve God in work. Why? Because you are created to serve God and reflect His image, not their image. If you reflect, live to reflect wealth, you'll discover it, a, it, it as a meaningless master. The preacher, the teacher in Ecclesiastes reflects on this observable truth. A meaningless master provides no joy, no rest, and no understanding. <coughs> A meaningless master provides no joy, no rest, and no understanding. So I titled this sermon a master class of life. I don't know if you've seen those on Facebook in master class of like acting or master class on screenwriting or master class on whatever, whatever, whatever. They have these like actors or screenwriters. They will teach these online classes and they call them master classes. So this is a master class of life. And kind of the, the big idea trying to give you a big idea, is that money, anything that comes, anything from under the sun, cannot provide joy, rest, or understanding. Because I say that one time. Anything that comes from under the sun cannot provide you joy, rest, or understanding. If you want to kind of, where does Ecclesiastes fit in the, in the, in the canon of the Bible, right? Yes, it's a wisdom piece of literature. But really what it is, it's an introduction to the Bible. I, when I, I taught a class, I taught like a, my, my first teaching that I did as a, after I got out of seminary, I was, a, I was a campus pastor, I still am, over at USI. And the first semester, I wanted to go through the whole Bible. Not like word for word, but go through over the main construction of the Bible. And you know where I started? I started with Ecclesiastes. Why? Because it's an introduction. Because if you do not believe that God exists, the rest of it makes no sense. It has no value to you. So in a sense, Ecclesiastes is an introduction to the Bible. If you are not created to reflect God, then you are created to live for wealth, work, pleasure, etc., which he shows to be meaningless and striving after living. A life that reflects God is a life worth living. So point number one is, I have everything I should want, but I'm unhappy. I have everything that I should want, but I am unhappy. Looking at verses 1 through 2. The writer here, the preacher, the teacher says, There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy and frequently. You didn't see the word frequently in your Bible, but heavy or frequently on mankind. This evil, grievous evil. What is he talking about? He says, A man to whom God gives wealth and abundance, Honor, possessions, but he doesn't enjoy it. He likes nothing of all that he desires. This man has abundance of everything. He can legitimately buy anything he or she desires. Anything. If he wants to buy a boat, he can buy a boat. If he wants to go on vacation, he can go on vacation. If he wants to buy that new BMW 5 Series, he can buy that without question, without fault. He has that much money. He has he has assets and acquisitions. He has real estate. He has property. He has everything. He has honor, too. He's well-known. He's respected. People know his name. His name is great. He lacks nothing of all that he desires. If he or she wants something, they don't have to think or plan or budget or save for it. There was a story when uh, Mitt Romney was running for president, 
And I mean, Mitt Romney was very wealthy. He still is very wealthy. He's a billionaire running for president. And it came out in the news before, he, before the election in 2012 that he would, would bet $10,000 on like golf games and golf shots. And the thought was like, that's crazy. Betting $10,000 on a golf game? Like, he didn't even think about it. Why? Because he's so rich. Like, he just bet $10,000 on a chip shot and said, hey, I'll put this in the hole. If I don't make it, you get $10,000. You bet? Like, that's pretty much what happened. Like, he had so much money, he could just throw it around and be silly. He or she has full security, food, shelter, clothing, opportunities, wealth, green security, right? Wealth, green security. There's this belief that security is gained through wealth. This is, a, 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 this is from an article. A lot of Americans want to be rich themselves, says Frank Newton. They believe they will be too. Nearly half the 18 to 29 year old surveyed envisioned becoming rich. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, there is a view, this mist of mobility, says Edward Nathan Wolf, a New York University economist who has tracked rising income inequality in the United States. People want to be rich. They envision themselves being rich. That's why they work. That's why they toil. That's why they go to night school. They think that they're going to be rich. They hope they can be as rich as the people they see on television. Because what is wealth equal? It equals mobility, right? You can get out of the living situation. You can get out of the neighborhood that you're in. You can get out of that job you're at that you're in. You can get out of whatever thing that you think holds you back. Wealth gets you out of it. It's a rescuer. It's a savior. It gives you more opportunities. Wealth equals opportunities. Wealth provides a network of people and acceptance from people. Wealth provides comfort, lounging, vacations, and entertainments. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy it. Think about going on that. I don't know if you're into Viking cruises, like you see that on like PBS. And I, we would watch Downton Abbey, you know, they always have the Viking cruise ad right before the Downton Abbey app. But I'm always like, man, that'd be cool to go on a Viking cruise uh, on the rivers in Europe. Think about going on a trip like that. It'd be $10,000 vacation, right? Luxury, finest food in the world, the greatest cities in the world. And that you had the money to pay for it, but you didn't even enjoy it. Like you didn't have any satisfaction from it. What the writer is saying is, is that God is the one that provides enjoyment. Just because you have wealth doesn't mean you actually are happy with it. Why does he not have, or why does he or she not have power to enjoy it? Boredom? Maybe he has so much money, or she has so much money, it's just boring. Maybe they're just bored. Sacrifices, right? All the sacrifices that have had to be made to then gain all that wealth. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind, the teacher says in chapter 4, verse 6. Maybe the time and energy spent to gain all that wealth. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Fear of loss, right? The fear of losing wealth doesn't allow you to enjoy. I'm thinking of Uncle Scrooge McDuck, right? Uncle Scrooge McDuck from the DuckTales. He's a tightwad, man. He has all this money, and the only thing that he enjoys doing is swimming in it. He doesn't even enjoy spending it. He never wants to lose any coin from his wealth. It was calculated by Forbes magazine that Uncle Scrooge McDuck had 40, $44.1 billion in gold, basically. And he would be afraid to lose an ounce of it. The fear of losing it doesn't allow you to enjoy it. Wealth presents a lot of responsibility as well, right? When goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? The more money, the more problems. There was a, a football player for the Oakland Raiders named Philip Buchanan. 
And it talked about when he got drafted by the Raiders out of the University of Miami. His, I'm not joking. His mom came to him and says, you owe me $1 million. He's like, what do you mean I owe you a For all, the, all my mothering of you for 18 years, you now owe me a million dollars. Like, she wasn't, like, joking. She was serious, and she was expecting him to pay him a million dollars. Him to pay her a million dollars. And he ended up, he did pay her that money, and they bought her a house, and bought her multiple houses, and she was never happy. She was never satisfied. And he talked about, he talked about all these people in his life coming out of the woodworks asking for him to pay for things. Cars, cell phones, houses, a lot of responsibilities as well. And the writer, the teacher, sees this and he says, this is a grievous evil. Because people have all this wealth and all this honor, they can't even enjoy it. Because joy doesn't come from having things, it comes only from God. Nothing lasts forever. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Wealth and honor doesn't even bring joy. What hope does the world have? What hope does the world have if wealth and honor do not bring happiness? Everyone in the world thinks that's what gives happiness, and actually the Bible says that doesn't actually make you happy. It's striving after what is vanity. The reason we're not created to gather wealth and honor is because we have honor already, right? We were created in the image of God. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? That you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, David says in Psalm 8. He's already given you honor, so why do you want honor from the world? He's already given it to you. The world can never provide a greater honor than that. God crowns you with glory. You are his image bearer. That he sent his son into the world in a perfect offering for your sins so that you may be reconciled to God. What more could you want? Hence why Paul can write in Philippians 3, it is all rubbish. All the honor. It's all rubbish. It's all a large mountain of dung compared to the honor that God provides. So why are you striving after honor when God's already given it to you? Also, because we have that wealth already. God has given us everything that is good. He has given us himself in Christ. In Christ, we have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. He has lavished on us the riches of his grace in Christ. We have an Uncle Scrooge-level money bin that is located in Christ. Honor, wealth is not what you were created to enjoy. You will be frustrated with it because you were not created for it. He thought wealth and honor would make him happy and to his surprise is a poor source of joy. God has given you the power to be joyful regardless if you have wealth or honor. Even if you have wealth or you don't have wealth. Even if you have honor or you don't have honor. All, if you have Christ, you have all that you need. You need nothing else. You need no more honor. You need no more wealth. One of my favorite movies that come out in the last 20-something years is the movie The Counts of Monte Cristo. It came out in 2002. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It has Jim Caviezel and Guy Pearce. And in the beginning of the movie, really the story is centered around these two friends. And, and you thought they were friends, but then you learn that they're actually not friends. But the, one of the characters is quite poor. He, he, he grew up in a poor home. And his friend is, is a son of a count. He's very rich, very wealthy. But the poor son had joy in what he had, right? 
he, and one of, the, one, of the, one of the statements of, the, of that the, that the the, 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 the wealthy uh, friend says, he says, I can never live in a world where you have everything and I have nothing. What he's saying is, is I cannot live in a world where you have joy and happiness and I have nothing. Because I have all the wealth and honor, yet I'm not happy. And you have nothing, yet you're happy. And that conflict causes him to betray his friend. He's jealous of his joy. Wealth and honor were never meant to satisfy us because God has already given it to us. If God chooses to bless you with wealth and honor, you are now tasked with the responsibility to use wealth and honor to glorify God and help your fellow man. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand that more. If you're given wealth, if you're given honor, it comes from God. And the only way to find joy with it is to realize that you're not satisfied by the wealth and honor that you have but to use it for God's glory, for his praise. When you seek to serve God, who is your creator, Lord, and Savior, with all that you have, you will find joy. Stop living for wealth and honor that you don't need and were not created to serve. Live for God who created you honored in his creation of you and gave you wealth through the blood of his son, Jesus. Point number two. I've achieved success, but I want more. Verses three through nine. So basically, he changes here. He continues to talk about wealth and honor, but he kind of switches it here. And he kind of starts off with an interesting statement. He says, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, the days of his years are many, meaning his name is great, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. You would think a man who had a hundred children would be satisfied. But again, you are not created to just have a bunch of children, and that will make you happy. Mothers, fathers, your children can never make you happy. If you're trying to find your happiness in your children, that is a poor place to find joy. That's pretty much what the teacher's saying here. He's saying, I don't know if you read this slowly. What is he saying? He's saying a man who has all wealth and all honor and has a great family is worse off, worse off than a stillborn baby. That makes no sense, right? A stillborn baby never lived. Like, it lived for a moment and died. It never experienced life. It never experiences the joys of being in a VBS. It never experiences the joys of going to Disney World with their family or whatever you want to include. How can their life be better than the wealthy and the honor and the, the man who had many, many children? It says the stillborn child's name is covered. It has no honor. It has no great name. No great accomplishments whatsoever. No great faith, no, no prophetic powers, no oratory, no wisdom or knowledge or inventions, no political conquest, nothing. They've done nothing. How can their life be better? Because if you try to live your life based off striving after things of this world, you will, your life is meaningless. I'm going to take two people, for example, Billy Graham and John Piper, two great theologians, two great pastors. I went to Billy Graham's um, um, museum that's in Charlotte, North Carolina this year. And I thought there was something interesting that I called. It, basically, it, there was, a, there was a, a voice recording. It said, what were some things that Billy Graham regretted from his life? And I called this. It was interesting. He said, I regretted being away from home so long. He spent a lot of time on the road. He, went to the, he did these crusades and did all these speaking engagements. And he regretted it because he was not home very often. His children basically grew up without a father. 
just, I mean, he wasn't a horrible father. He didn't, like, beat his kids or anything, but he just wasn't around very much. Because why? He was doing God's work, right? But this striving after accomplishments, or striving even after doing great work for God, if that is your purpose, that is a poor way to live. You will find no rest it's interesting about John Piper. John Piper took eight months off during his ministry. You know why he took eight months off? He was a bad husband. He literally said, I was not a good husband to my wife, Nora. I, 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 I was so focused on ministry and writing and, and all the things that I thought I had to do that I overlooked my responsibility as that of a father. And what, we, what you catch there is if you think that life's about doing great deeds for God, you will find no rest. There is no rest in contentment there. There is no joy in thinking you have to accomplish things or strive things to make you happy. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, but, but have not love, I gain nothing. What does Paul say in Philippians 3? But whatever gain I had, I kind of was lost for the sake of Christ. Because none of it brought him rest. Like Luther, Martin Luther did everything that his, his monastic life instructed him to rid himself of guilt and restlessness of his soul, and he found only torture. Because there is no rest in deeds. There is no rest in great works. There is no rest in great accomplishments. There is no rest. I don't care if you go to Africa and share the gospel with a million people and they all get saved. That will not bring you contentment and rest. There's more. And there's more. And there's more ministry to do. There's more work to be done. You'll Why is it better for a stillborn child than a man or woman who has everything? Because if you try to satisfy your hunger for meaning, by how much you gain, including children, in this life, you will never be satisfied. A stillborn baby has no need for want. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were satisfied with all the things that God had given them in the garden. When they thought, when they thought for more, when they sought for more, they ceased to be satisfied. The curse of humanity is an unquenchable desire for more, more money, more entertainment, more success, more honor, more children, more recognition, more pleasure, more sex, more drugs, more food, more alcohol, more muscles, more more, 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 more. Just just fill in the gap, right? You have one. I've got one. We all got our thing. We're never satisfied. We're never quenched. It never stops. There's no rest from this quest. He even said, even if you live a thousand years twice, so two thousand years, it doesn't matter if you live longer. It would never satisfy the desire for more. If you live two thousand years, you would only live longer trapped in this curse for more. You just want more. The preacher wrote this to grievous evil. Why do we hunger for more when we have enough? Why does God give us this hunger? It's the curse of the garden. You seek what you already have. Adam and Eve seek what they already had. They had honor. They had wealth. And they wanted more. It's the same curse. God has given you everything that you need. Himself in Christ. His word. His people. Life everlasting. What else do you need? What more honor do you need? What more wealth do you need? All the toil of man is for his mouth, for his mouth yet his appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has the wise man over the fool? What does the poor man have? It doesn't matter if you have all the financial wisdom in you. It doesn't matter if you have the healthiest living uh, uh, habits. It doesn't matter if you have education or skills or networks. None of those things matter in comparison to God. If you base your life on obtaining those 
things, those things that the world sees, that's good. It is good to have financial wisdom and to have healthy living habits and education and skills. And all these things are good, but they are not the reason for living. Yet if wisdom is only utilized to achieve more and attempt to satisfy some appetite, it's vanity and striving after when one of my biggest issues is I want people to think I'm smart. So when I was in, I was, uh, I think it was around college time, right after college, I would became a subscriber of The Economist magazine because I wanted people to know that I was smart. So I'd keep it in my bag and I'd read it and I would like tell people that I read The Economist to make people think I'm smart. Because I wanted people to perceive that I was smart. I thought that was what it was all about, right? This appetite to be perceived as intelligent, to be perceived as smart, to be respected by other people, to be viewed by them as someone who knew things. But all that is, is vanity and meaninglessness. Better is the sight of the eyes and the wonder of the appetite. This is vanity and striving after win. Contentment is what you have right in front of you. The relationships you have, the money you have, the significance you have, being content with those things. Better is the things you can see than the things that you are wondering for. For those of you in a relationship, but some of you are dissatisfied with a relationship, you don't feel like you have a lot of friends. I think the problem is you're wondering for these, these friends out there, these perfect friends. There is no perfect friends. The people right in front of you are your friends. And those are people you spend time with, right? The people you go to church with. Those are your friends. So engage in a relationship with them. Stop wandering the world for these make-believe friends that do not exist. Be content with what's in front of you. Rest in God's blessing that you currently have, his salvation in Christ. Cling to the cross, for there you will find all that you truly need. Be thankful for your family and your friends. Be thankful for your home. Be thankful for your church. Be thankful for your job. The things you do not have, God does not desire for you to have right now. Or he would give it to you. Pray that God would give you a thankful heart and a content heart. God may give you what you currently do not have if he desires to do so. But be content in the meantime with what God has provided. Stop wandering for more because it will never stop. You will never find rest. Rest in the knowledge that rest in the knowledge of God. When you seek to serve God, who is your creator, Lord, and Savior, you will find the path to rest. I want to finish with this. What is good for you then? What is good for you? The, the, the teacher ends this, this section going, what's good for me? Like, all right, so money's not good for me. Wisdom's not good for me. Pleasure's not good for me. Work's not good for me. What is good for me? What is good for man? What is good for woman? What are we created for? It is no what about man. Man's created by God and is in it. A sinner in need of God's grace in Christ. This is not, we're not able to dispute with this. Right? He even says, you can't dispute with this truth with a stronger being. God says this, right? You were created by him, no other. You are a sinner in need of his grace. Don't dispute that fact and this truth. Blessed is a man who delights in God. You are not able to dispute with God. Delight in God. Delight in the truth of God. What advantage do we have? The writer says. All this striving, all this toiling, all this gain, to what end? What is this all for? Wealth, honor, wisdom, righteous deeds, accomplishments, none of these things will satisfy one who is created in the image of God. For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life? Life is short. You're forgotten by others after you die. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? What does it profit a man who gains the whole world but loses his soul? Gaining the whole world does not give you clarity and certainty of hope. 
good for you? What is good for us? How do we know how to live? What goals shall we set? What is our mission in life? What should we strive for? What should we build toward? The truth is, is that you were created to serve God. You were created to worship God. You were created to abide in Christ. The story is pretty straightforward. Every other path is doomed to fail. It proves to be grievous and unsatisfying and restless and confusing. It does not give you joy. It does not give you rest. And it does not give you understanding. Stop wandering for happiness when happiness is in God. You created in his image. You created with him. He saved you through his son Jesus. Stop seeking satisfaction and joy and rest and understanding and the things under the sun. Because they will not give it. They're not created to give you that. I want to end with this quote. I don't know if you'll remember Aziz Azari. He was a comedian with all Parks and Rec. He, there's that incident that happened about a year ago with a woman, and pretty much everyone went nuts about him, and he kind of went into hiding for a little bit. We popped back up just recently. He did, a, he did like a show, a comedy show on Netflix called Right Now, and I watched it last night. I'm not recommending that you watch it. Uh, but it's interesting, though. I'm kind of glad I watched it, though, because the end was interesting. Because there were these moments, like, the elephant in the room, right? I mean, like, Aziz Azari, like, man, you got to talk about what happened with the girl. Like, I was pretty messed up. And he talked about it a little bit. But at the end, he kind of got really uh, emotional, very honest. And he says this. He says, this is, a, this is a man who has made some mistakes. He regrets those mistakes. He's embarrassed by those mistakes. And he's reflecting on his life. And he says, but now, when I see you guys, here you talk about the crowd at, this, at the show, it hits me in a different way. I think about what it means that all you guys, you drove down here, you waited in line, you did all the stuff just to hear me talk into a microphone for like an hour or so. And it means the world to me, because I saw the world where I don't ever get to do this again, and it, whatever, it, it, almost, it almost felt like I died. In a way, I did. The old Aziz who said, oh, treat yourself, he's dead. But I'm glad, because that guy was always looking forward to whatever was next. Oh, I'm going to do another tour, or I'm going to do another season of that show. I don't think that way anymore, because I've realized that all the shortness of life, that, that stuff, all that stuff, could just go away with this. He snaps his fingers. And all we really have is the moment we, we're in right now and the people we're with. I don't think it's that hard to become Christian. But I think you're, you're realizing a guy who realizes that the wealth, and, and the popularity and the fame was all vanity. It was all means. He was always wanting more. He wanted more popularity. He wanted more wealth. He wanted to grow his brand. He wanted more comedy shows, more seasons of his shows. He wanted to continue to seek some goal or some quest, and he was never quenched by that. And he realized that it was all vanity. Always looking forward to whatever was next, building towards a new opportunity, a new prosperity, always looking to what is next and never looking back to why you were created in the first place. You were created to reflect God, your creator, Lord, and Savior, not built to some unattainable existence. Because you were never, you will never find joy, rest, and understanding in that destination. Because that destination isn't real. It's not real. Whatever Aziz Azari was fighting or building towards isn't real. It's like a mirage in the desert that gives nothing, no refreshing water, no sanctuary. The only place where you will find joy, comfort, and peace is at the table of God. That's it. That's it. Whatever destination you're striving for or building toward doesn't exist. 
There is no perfect family. There is no perfect marriage. There is no perfect job. There is no perfect wealth. There is no perfect anything outside of God. Why? Because you were created for those things. They will never bring you meaning. Because you were never created for those things to give you meaning. You were created to worship and reflect God. And the reason why your life is frustrating and you're unjoyful and you're full of unrest and you're full of just confusion is because you've tried so long to base your life on things that will not bring you those things. Because only God can do that. He can only bring you joy. He can only bring you rest. And he can only bring you understanding. So stop building and worship Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for your word. The challenge to, to think about and, and comprehend, Lord, that if I base my life on what I attain, what I accomplish in this world is worse than if I had never been born. We were not created to base our life on those things. We were created to reflect you and to worship you. And outside of Christ, we can never do that. We can never worship you. We can never reflect you outside of Christ. There's anyone in here, Lord, who raise your hand and say, man, I have based my life on the things under this sun. Man, am I frustrated. Man, am I unsatisfied. Man, am I not joyful. Man, am I not at rest. Man, am I not, I'm confused of what my life is supposed to be. Lord, I pray that your spirit will lead them to truth and lead them to the understanding that they were created to worship you. And Lord, help them understand that they can never do that outside of Jesus. They do not put their faith and trust in the blood of Christ and cling to the cross alone. They will never accomplish or be satisfied because they'll never be able to worship you. They'll never be able to reflect you. But I pray that you would convince them of this truth, persuade them of this truth. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If I can get Sean and Stan, why don't you come forward as well? Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and the way that we do this here is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ,